Now, it is holy because God has inspired the works of these 66 books that we call the Bible. Uh, but more importantly than calling it the Bible, it is God's holy word, a, a gift to his people that was written over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents by over 40 different authors, and yet has this seamless thread that pulls them together that presents us what Jesus wants us to know, and that is him. Wants us to know about him, who he is, what he has done, how he has spoken to us, and why we should trust in him. And so our greatest joy is to help people understand that. Because we believe that if you understand the Bible, not treating it like a textbook, but seeing it as God's gift to us, God's word spoken to us, then we're able to gain more insight, once again, on who he is, what he has said, and what he has done. And thus showing us the evidence of why we are to trust him and how we are to learn from this book that is such a gift. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word personally, uh, there's certainly some in the pew in front of you, and we just want you to know that if you need a Bible that's, that's, that's more uh, readable and accurate, take that Bible that's in front of you in the pew. That's our gift to you. We take, have a fund where we collect monies to resupply those and give them away. They're not just for decoration. They're not make us look spiritual. They're just to help people have the copy of God's Word in their hands, but ultimately to help them understand it and get it into their heart. And uh, certainly you can follow along on your tablet. We have people that do that, uh, and they use their electronic devices. By the way, the message time is always broadcast each week on Facebook Live, so it's going on right now. So hello, everybody out there. That's not for me to show to them, but I just wanted to let you know. So it follows with the little announcements behind me, I'm sure. All right, so let's stand and honor God in the reading of His Word. We're going to be in Exodus chapters 17 and 18 uh, we're going to do our reading today, and, and we're going to focus on those whole passages, but we're going to do our reading today starting in the middle of chapter 17 on page 62 in your pew Bible, and uh, we're going to look at this uh, subheading that says the Amalekites attack and talk about what it means to have a Redeemer who administers great leadership in our life in our most timely of needs. So let's pray. I mean, let's, let's, let's read God's word together. Sorry, you get some, sometimes you get just hang-tongled. All right. It says that Rephidim, Amalek, came and fought against Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. While Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And while Moses held up his, in his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his, with his, and his army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let us pray. Lord God, I ask that today as we... Seek to know you more. 
that you would show us about your leadership that is over, through, in, with, and shaping your people. And what that means that you have a direction that you administer to us. So God, help us to know you more. Help us to trust you and follow, not only in this place, but in the days to come, as you are Lord and worthy of worship and following. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So like I said, we, we make a big deal about spending time in God's Word. Not because we worship the Bible, but because we see the God that the Bible reveals to us is worthy of worship. That He has made Himself known through this. And so when we spend time, there's a couple things we want to do. We want to answer some questions about what does it say. That's why we actually go and read it. And I don't say, hey, let me tell you what God has said. I don't know what the Bible really says, but I, I think this is what God would believe. No, we want to see what God has actually said. That's important for us to have it. And, and we live in an incredible, incredible day. I just want to know, we live in an incredible day. I know we've had uh, versions of the Bible in, in everyday language for the last 500 years. But you've got to think about that. In the history of humanity, that's a very small, small time frame. And God has done great wonders by having the Bible available to us so that we can see what it says. And not only to us, but we have it in such a readily available way that it's made available on electronic devices and printed out. And and the common person can go just to the store and pick up a Bible. Years before that, you would have to be a rich, significantly rich and wealthy person to go get a Bible. Why? Because they were all hand copied, hand penned. And passed down. And there were people that were, they were, their whole job was to write down a select section of the Bible over and over and over again. And, and to make that was very costly. It would take a large amount of time. But since the printing press and since the movement that began with the Protestant Reformation, it's made available to us. And, and God has expanded His mission movement by seeing what He says. So I don't want you to take that for granted. I know I say that every week to see what it says. But that's a valuable, incredible gift that God has made available to us. Uh, second, not only what it says, but what it means. This is why it's so important to center the teaching. Because we could probably open the Bible and read it, and you'd be like, who is Amalek? And how do I spell, how do I say Rephidim, or, or Rephidim, or Rephidim, or Rephidim? I don't know. How would I know? Not that it's important, the location. It is important, the location. Everything's in there for a reason. But why would I know this is important? We need people to teach us why this says what it says. So we can discern and and have a better grasp on the truth. We need to see how it applies. That God gave this in a certain time and place, but it carries incredible significance even now. The meaning doesn't change, but the significance may apply to my life in in a unique and new way that I need to know. And then lastly, why should I trust it? So today we're talking about the area of the redemption. The book of Exodus is a story of rescue. A story of a redeemer who has a people that he has chosen for himself that are slaves that are considered insignificant in the world who are not cared for beyond their economic value. They have no rights to themselves, no voice to themselves. And God redeems them. Not only redeeming them from slavery, but redeeming them from death. They were being put to death as a way of population control. Um, as a way of not even caring or valuing their life or their soul, the dignity of human life. And God redeems His people because He had chosen them and because He had made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, their, their predecessors, this, this family that was once very small, and, and Abraham was childless. 
now becomes a multitude of people. And then the book of Exodus tells us this moment in history where the people are delivered by a mighty and strong hand of God. That this Redeemer that we talk about being the Lord is not weak. He is not uh, puny in his strength. He is mighty. And he delivers them through mighty acts, uh, uh, demonstrating his wonders through the plagues on Egypt and then through the Red Sea. And then last week we talked about, well, what's now? After they have crossed the Red Sea, they're no longer in Egypt. They're in the peninsula of Sinai. And, and what next? What do you do now that you've been slaves all your life? You've had someone tell you what to do all your life. Now you're left to your own, but your resources are running thin. Well, the people complain. And yet in the middle of it, this Redeemer still shows immense grace. He provides for them in their time of need. And that's where you get chapters 15 through 17 but the end of 17 something happens something happens and it doesn't catch god unexpected god is not surprised like oh i better step in there now um god knows exactly what's going on and never leaves us alone but something happens you see the people were meant to go that the way they were meant to go so that they would not face battle early but it did not mean that they would not face battle god knew that they would face a battle and it came in the, 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 in the peoples of Amalek. Amalek were descendants of Esau. If you know the story of, of Genesis, uh, Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. Uh, he was the, 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 the one who uh, was unfortunately cheated out of his blessing, but he also sold off his birthright. So it was a give and take there and lived in a life trying to despise his family and, and raise annoyance and, and, and be rebellious just for the sake of spite. And eventually, after 400 years of the people of Israel being in Egypt, well, the people of Esau, the Edomites, and then all their descendants, people like Amalek, the Amalekites, they had also multiplied. And now seeing this people, this wide multitude, the Amaleks considered a, a, a heinous threat. But they don't send, as we are recorded in the Bible, some warning about do not enter our land, do not try to settle here, we will fight you. Now, according to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, and according to what happens here, they attacked the stragglers from behind. The people that were the slowest, the people that were the weakest, the ones that were in the back end of this traveling party, they begin just ambushing them and, and attacking them. And what does God do to show His leadership in that moment? How does He administer? Oh, you know how God's supposed to administer? He's supposed to present a really nice shiny place to dress up in a shiny suit and, and, to, and to drive all the, the, the right vehicles and, and to have the right uh, memos and that kind of thing. That's what administration looks like. That's a part of administration. You should dress in a way that is appropriate for the job that you're looking to do. You should be organized in that way. But God's administration is far greater than just the right look or the right structure. Those are very much important. The Bible says to abstain from evil. That's a part of image. The Bible tells us to trust in God's way and His prescription for life. But in this moment, we see the Redeemer demonstrating His leadership over and through His people and with His people and shaping them by showing His protection. His protection. Even whenever they're in a very chaotic struggle. And make no mistake, this is a very chaotic scenario. This is not where we read the Bible like, oh, there was a battle there and some people won. You've got to think about it. Put yourself in that moment. This is life or death. This is freedom or being enslaved once again. This is the protection of those I value the most. 
that could be slaughtered or ravaged or taken off and, and done with whatever. This is what that moment is. God provides His protection in that moment. The Amalekites are defeated by God's hand in that moment. Now, they live to fight another day. In fact, they would fight again with the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea, which we'll look at in a little while, in a few more months, when we get to the book of Numbers. But they would be remain a thorn in the flesh in a battling people for over a thousand more years. A thousand more years in the history of Israel. The last time we have a mention of the Amalekites comes from a very, very familiar story, by the way. You may not see Amalek mentioned, but you see this man named Haman, the Agagite. That means he was a descendant of King Agag, the one of the last kings of Amalek. What was his whole desire? To see the entire nation of Israel utterly annihilated. But even in this moment, even when there was an ongoing struggle of utterly chaos, God administers His protection. It's a part of what He does. He's not a redeemer that rescues and is like, all right, I plucked you out of that. Now I'm, now I'm just going to walk away and leave you to yourself. No, He says, I never leave you or forsake you. I stand by you even through the chaotic. Why do we need to know that today? Why do we need to read that? Because we're still a people that utterly need the Lord's protection. Why? Because we face the struggle of the flesh and returning to works or piety. We struggle with the works of the flesh that move us towards living as if grace had no effect in our life. That's what Romans and Galatians tells us. We still struggle with the surroundings of this world that are tempting to us and that are opposed to God in many places. We still face a sinister enemy. As First Peter, the apostle, would write, the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. As Jesus would put it, is a thief who seeks to steal kill and destroy who is the father of all lies so make no mistake we still need the administer the administration of the redeemer we need his protection and here's the good news god says i give it he didn't say well i might step in there every now and then if you hire me or, or please me i might step in no he says Greater is he who is in you than who, he who is in the world. That you have a greater advocate. Me and you, we have a greater caregiver. And he is perfect in his protection in his time. Not only do we have uh, the administration of the Redeemer through his protection, we also see it in the act of intercession. That's a big churchy word, right? Intercession. You know, you don't really hear people talking about intercession. You may hear somebody say intercede. Where like there's two warring parties and now there's got to be a mediator in the middle to, to stand up. Well, Moses becomes that movement of God's administration to intercede on behalf of Israel. To intercede with the Lord to work in His way. He goes up on the hilltop to pray and hold up the staff that God had used many times before in a way that pointed to the glorious sovereignty and authority of, God, of the Lord. The, the staff was a, a, an amazing gift. It was the very first thing that God said... You're going to lay it down. It's going to turn into a serpent before Pharaoh. He even showed it to Moses before he did it. It was the staff that would be held out that these plagues would arrive. And it was the staff that would be held out that these plagues would disappear and dissipate. It was the staff that was carried. And, and whenever they faced the Red Sea, it was 
standing still and held up as God parted the waters. Now, make no mistake, the staff was never intended to be some secret, special relic or talisman. Where we get the staff, we'll carry it with us, we're automatically guaranteed the win. This is not some hocus-pocus, I've got the secret uh, weapon, and now God is obligated to do the work He's obligated to do. But Moses took the staff and he went up on the hilltop and he lifted his hands to pray while he was holding it up. And that would set a tone for the Jewish people for years that a part of their prayer is holding up their hands as they pray as they're saying, God, we're reaching out to heaven and lifting our face to you to say that only you can recognize the plight of your people in this moment and that you have a glorious plan for their salvation. Moses, in this moment, he's astute enough to know that the greatest place of asset would be for him to be in prayer before the Lord. Not to be in the battlefield. Not to be hiding back in the camp. But to be on the hilltop where everyone can see that man is praying for us right now. And God is going to do His work. This is what happens in that moment. And we see God's mighty deliverance. The administration of His leadership over and through His people. But what about today? Obviously, we have to have the answer. What, what, what about, why do we need this today? Why do we need that intercession? Why do we have to make time to pray and sometimes even to lift our holy hands up to the Lord? Why do we need to do that? Because it's, it's a place where we come to this moment, not only by a belief, but by an action that we say, God, I don't know why, but I recognize that you listen to me. Not that you have to, are forced to do what I say. But you actually listen to what's on my heart and my mind and then you show me the answer. We're, we're believing when we pray that God is good. That He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That when we come to Him, we're talking about someone that does good things. And we, we're, we're, when we come to God in prayer, we're believing that God is not only a listener and that God is good, but that God is able. You know, people say, well, why should I pray and talk to a God that already knows everything? Well, because He knows everything. You're, you're going to Him because you recognize that He knows everything already. He can do anything that He seeks to do, and it's immeasurably more than we could ever do. And we're going to Him because He is able. Even able to do beyond what we're able to comprehend or imagine. We go to God because we believe that He shepherds His people and that He speaks to His people through His Word. And that we as His people are to be listeners of His voice. That He is the Good Shepherd speaks to His sheep. And we as His sheep listen to His voice. This is the act of intercession that is meant to be administered and, and, and is a gift that God provides for us. In fact, I love what Spurgeon was talking about. I was reading this week his devotional morning and evening. Some of you know I'm, I, I, I dig Charles Spurgeon. He is a pastor from the late 1800s in London at a Metropolitan Baptist Church. But one of the things he talked about is the promise of the book of Romans chapter 8 that says that every day God Himself, Jesus Christ, intercedes for His people. That there is not one moment of your life that Jesus on the throne is not communing in that holy trinity of God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, and He is praying and speaking for His people. Isn't that just, that's befuddling that Jesus cares that much for you and I. But that's the Redeemer. Yes. He is able to do exceedingly more. We see in, the, in the, the administration of the Redeemer, His leadership over His people and through His people and for His people and with His people, 
we see his cooperation as well. His plan for that. Notice the inclusion of Aaron and her in the process. You see, not much has been written about her other than this moment in the Bible. Did you realize that? He's like a, a character and his name's there, but that's really all he's ever known for. Now, there's a little bit more written about Aaron. He was the very first high priest. He was the brother of Moses, the older brother, in fact. He was the one that would speak many times for Moses before Moses finally learned that God could use his not-so-eloquent voice. But even more is written about Moses. But yet we see that both Aaron and her, the one who had status and had a lot of story, and the one who's mentioned only one time, both of them played an equal role of cooperation. It was not a role to be taken lightly as we see what happened when Moses couldn't hold the staff up by himself. So whenever the, the hands came down and the prayers stopped, it seemed like Amalek was prevailing. That the people could be led to death. But when his hands were lifted up, Israel prevailed. And they were being delivered from death by the Lord. But Moses couldn't hold the hand up by himself. He couldn't intercede by himself. He needed the cooperation of Aaron and her who took that stone, they rolled it under him and says, we're going to support you and then we're going to, whenever you can't lift and hold up, we're going to stand beside you and hold it up. That's why intercession is not just a one-man thing. And that's why cooperation is not just for those who have mighty stories or mighty status. It's for the person who has no name and for the person who has a big name. And they're to help the person who everything is written about. Moses had all these kind of things. It seemed Moses was known as a friend of God. And yet he required these two men in his life to help him on this day. Cooperation is required in the Redeemer's administration. It's a part of it. And we, as a, too, as a church, are, are not to be an us or them people. Oh, that's for the leadership. They, they, they know what they're doing. They, people know who they are. They don't know me. And it's not for leaders to say, oh, nobody knows them. They, they, don't, they can't do anything. No, God values both and invites all to be a part of His work. So regardless of your status or your story, we are all called to humbly submit to the Lord and come together to serve Him for His glory and the good of His people. That's a part of God's leadership. We see not only that, but we see the supervision that takes place in the battle. Moses chooses a young man named Joshua. By the way, up until this point, you've never heard of Joshua. If you're reading the Bible chronologically, we know him as the general. We know him as the deliverer of his people into the promised land after Moses passes away as Moses' successor. We know him as this victorious person. We know him as one of the spies that was totally convinced that God was able to deliver the promised land 40 years before they actually able did it, were able to do it. But here, it's the first mention. It's the beginning of his narrative, and it's Moses entrusting him, seeing something in him to lead the fray. Once again, all of these guys were slaves. And yet, they had no training, and yet Moses sees Joshua, he entrusts him, and Joshua supervises. He chooses the people that go and fight the battle. Moses gives him the authority in this place. And it's something not to be taken lightly. Once again, the annihilation of a nation was at stake. But he's entrusted and God uses this super, supervision plan for success. So what does that mean for us? Seeing all this entrusted to Joshua. Someone who before this time is not ever mentioned, who only had the life of a slave a year before. What does this tell us? 
that God has consistently raised up new leadership to supervise and to take place. But it takes the person who has been there walking with the Lord for a lengthier amount of time to say, I see this and I raise them up. And so today in the church, as you see it moving ahead to us, we must remember that we are entrusted by God to lead well in our generation and then to replace ourselves, to pass on the mantle. We need to be those that are like Barnabas that helped raise up a Paul. We need to be like those that are Pauls that would in turn raise up a Timothy. We need to be like those that are Priscilla's and Aquila's. You may not even know who that is, but they raised up a mighty evangelist named Apollos. We need to be like Peter, the apostle, that takes a rebellion like John Mark, who was a coward and abandoned the Lord and abandoned his, his mission once, but raises him up and he becomes the pen writer of the book of Mark. We need to be like Luke for the Theophiluses, that, those people that need to understand what happened in the gospel. And what happened in the church? And then when we pass it on, allow them to be entrusted. Now that doesn't mean we wash our hands and abandon. Once again, Moses didn't say, oh, well, I did serve my sentence. I did my time. By the way, I've heard that phrase before. Moses goes up on the hilltop where everybody could see that he wasn't asleep at the wheel. He was praying with the hands lifted high. It's a both ends. But in this moment, there's a few things that happen. We may not get through all of chapter 18 today, but that's okay. In this moment, I'm going to highlight a few things. You may say, I'm looking at my points thing. You're only on point four, and we've got like eight more points. What happens after this? Well, Moses has a visitor. Moses has a visitor named Jethro who is his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, I want you to understand that being the priest of Midian, his far, far descendant was Abraham. But in all other points of Scripture, he's a Gentile. He's not a part of the people of Israel. And yet he was a person astute enough to know that the Lord Almighty was worthy of worship. And he was considered a priest even in the middle of his tribe. And here he comes into the story, the narrative, bringing back Moses' wife and, and two children to be with the camp. And Moses recounts to his Gentile father-in-law about the work of God. About what God alone could do and made possible and why all of this that, that Jethro had seen was happening. You see, God works in such a way, and even after this deliverance against Amalek, He works in such a way so that we can recount and point people back to the glory of the Lord. That is why we are told to be the salt of the earth and the city on a hill, the light of the world. So that's what people say, man, y'all look good. No, we say God is good. And were it not for His grace, none of this would be possible. But because of His grace, He's done the unimaginable. God shows who He is and what He does and what He says so that we can proclaim Him to others in both word and deed. And Moses does not fail in this point. It doesn't mean Moses is a perfect person. He makes multiple failures. But here, he does exactly what the Lord's leadership would lead us to do. Not make it about our glory, but make it about His. We as a church need to remember that. We, need, we see in this moment, after they recount this, Jethro doesn't say, well, let me throw a party in your honor. You as the leader, you deserve this recognition. You deserve the applaud. You want all the attaboys. I get that. 
Let's respect and tout up the leader, the man who is like any other man. No. Jethro does something appropriate as well. Him and Moses and Aaron, they go and they honor the Lord with a sacrifice on the, on the, on the altar. Now note this is before the receiving of the Levitical priest system that would follow. So this is in the same way that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, and primarily Moses and Jethro had learned to honor the Lord was through the sacrifice of an innocent to proclaim the glory of the holy. Later on, God would establish what that rule looks like. But before this, they're about worship. They're recognizing that they don't deserve this. And they want to applaud God for who He is. They want to laud Him. And God's administration, if it does not lead us to declaring who He is and exalting who He is, it's not administering the right way. It's not administering the right way. God will prescribe how He's to be worshipped. And that's why we as the church today, we don't just, just, oh, just throw anything in there. Sing any song. Say any word. Do any talk. Look any way. No, we say, God, how do you want to be worshipped? Because you're holy enough and you're mighty enough and you're far knowing enough to know the best way to do that. And here I am, a sinner saved by grace. I want to do that. I want to do that. We're going to stop there. We'll conclude this next week. But I think that's a great place to stop. Because here's what I ask you. What is the Lord's leadership showing you in your life? The Lord's leadership is something that's going to align with who He is. It's never going to negate His fame, His name, His character. What is the Lord showing you about what He has said? By the way, God does not speak things to us that are incompatible to what He has already spoken Because God is not duplicitous. He's not two-faced. He's not one way this day and one way another day. God remembers. God holds dear what He has spoken. He never says anything lightly. We all know people that say things very lightly, but God never does. And what is God showing you about a next step with Him? As His leadership takes hold over His people, with His people, through His people, and it shapes His people, what... Is that speaking to you? Hopefully today that first leads you to the gospel. The good news that this redeemer we talk about, he is a redeemer. And that he redeems people. He redeems that through the gospel. That though he is holy and just and true and mighty and unlike anyone else we could ever know, there is no one like him and no one but him as God. He sees the offensive nature of sin and, and all of its rebellion and all of its messiness and all of its ugliness. And, and no, it's not a little, uh, a little awkward uh, little part of our life, a little reflex. It's a brokenness that is against the design of God. And instead of wiping the floor with us and just annihilating us, He says, no, I extend grace. And I do it through the only possible that someone perfect had to come in their place. And since that was no way possible by any of us, He Himself took on flesh. And He willingly came to live that sinless, perfect life that we couldn't live, all so that He could die as the perfect sacrifice that we should have taken. And then He overcame the grave. 
And all of this was a part of his plan. It didn't just happen. Jesus' whole gospel didn't just like, well, this is kind of how the story turned out. No, it was all at God's direction. It was all administered. It never escaped his sovereignty or his plan or his way. But he did that so that even years later, we can have this Bible open and accessible to us. It's amazing that we live in the time that we live. And that one day, on January 13th, in 2019, you would be sitting at a church, listening to some weird preacher from Mississippi who happens to live in Michigan, according to his design, telling you about what it means to know the Redeemer. And that's all according to the direction and administration of God. The Redeemer who invites us to know Him. And He does it so that we can make that personal response to His gift. What will we do with what He has so costly paid for? Will we receive it and trust it? Or we say, nah, I want to get close enough, but I don't really want to have it for myself. Or will we draw near and take it and say, I believe. I see what you've done. I see who you are. And I see what only you could do. And now I lift my hands to you as the one who provides the protection to save me from death. To protect me. I see you as the one who intercedes for me and and gives me a a voice that I, I, I don't even deserve and yet you have lifted up one for me. I see you as the one who supervises and has placed me in a time such as this. And I see you as the one who has been declared and now I must exalt. Because based on that choice, eternity is at stake. Life and death, heaven and hell, blessing or curse, all of those are laid on the line based on what we do with this Redeemer. And not only ours, but so that what was passed on to us would also affect others. You see, I'm a product up here because someone sat down with me one day who also had received the Gospel Many, many years before. And they took the time to explain to me. So they understood what was passed on to them was going somewhere else. And I need to be astute enough to understand that according to God's administration, until the time is fulfilled that He returns or we go to be with Him in heaven, I've got to be about that job. Or else there's going to be somewhere down the line that someone does not hear. Eternity change, not only in our life, but in the lives of many others based on what we do with Jesus. Because He not only transforms eternity, He transforms our life. Today, my question is, what are you doing with the direction and leadership He's placed in front of you? Declaring who He is. How will you respond to that? You say, I don't like that boss. Or you say, God, you are Lord. I want to follow after you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, I don't know what every struggle is that may be going on. Some people may be like, I don't really have a struggle. I've lived through one, but I don't have one right now. But Lord, what I'm thankful for is you have graced us with incredible direction. And all other direction that falls so short of that. But nevertheless, you have made it a way so that we as imperfect beings are, are part of your story. We get to be instruments of your grace and communicating who you are and today i pray that would would take hold of our lives in a way that maybe is different from the days before this moment not because this message was so good or this place is so great 
but because You, O Lord, have spoken to us in a new way. Showing us who You are as Lord over us, through us, with us, and shaping us. Jesus, help us trust You in this moment. For lives that need to be redeemed, redeem them. For next steps that need to be taken, move them. And may we follow Your lead. In Jesus' name, amen.